joining us online. We want to welcome you. And you may at this time wish to also get the elements ready at the conclusion of the Bible study. We're going to partake together as we always do on the first Thursday of the month. Really it's a celebration and a commemoration. Can't wait. Always look forward to it. So on Thursday nights we're going through the Bible and book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're in Jeremiah. Uh, I was just thinking, and this is probably as good of a time as any, to say thank you to you for being here. For those of you who know what Jeremiah is all about, the fact that you're here, but even more that you came back, especially after last week in chapter 5. I, I think you know, for those of you that read ahead to stay ahead, it, it's, it's not getting any better. In fact, it's kind of really a continuation of what we, what we saw last week. But God is so good, and this is so needed. It's a hard word, but a good word, and a word fitly spoken. So why don't we pray? We'll ask God to bless our time together tonight. If you would, please join with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Lord, we're, <laughs> we're just so grateful. That sounds so hollow, and, but you know our hearts, Lord, and you know our hearts for you and for your word. And Lord, that's why we're here tonight. We're, we're a needy people. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We're a desperate people. And we need to hear you speak into our lives, in and through your word. And Lord, thank you for this time that we have in this place, this your church, in which we can come and assemble ourselves together and just have this time in your word, putting aside all of the stress and busyness of our lives. And, and Lord, it's that, that tuning fork of the Holy Spirit that tunes our hearts so that we're in tune and can hear that still, small, refining voice of the Holy Spirit as you speak, as only you can. Lord, please speak. We need desperately to hear you speak that word, your word, into our hearts. So Lord, thank you. We want to commit this Bible study to you. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. All right. So here in chapter 6, God continuing through the prophet Jeremiah is, for lack of a better way of saying it, arguing his case. If that sounds very courtroom, then so be it. But he's bringing a case against his people, because he's going to bring judgment on His people. And this, for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that, as we're going to see, everyone 
was dealing falsely with each other, specifically saying, peace, peace, when there's no peace. And again, it's so, I guess again, for lack of a better word, intense, because God has to, through the prophet Jeremiah, warn His people and tell His people that they have brought this upon themselves. And we're going to see it tonight again. There's woven into the fabric of this chapter, as intense as it is, this, this pleading, this, it's, it, it's God never giving up on His people. He, he still gives His people this time to repent, this opportunity to come to their senses, as it were, and come back to Him, but they don't. They hear, but they don't heed, despite the many warnings. So, you ready? You sure? <laughs> Let's jump in verse 1. Oh, you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tico. Wait, why are you pronouncing it like that? Because that's the name of the town that I grew up in, Tico, Washington. Oh, I thought it was Tekoa. No, it's Tico. Well, wait a minute. Well, it's the town, very small town, likely was named after this town in Israel, close in proximity to Jerusalem. And this other town that we have mentioned here, where we read and set up a signal fire in Beth, or Beth, Hacharem. These were two towns on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and they were responsible to warn the city if disaster was coming, or destruction was coming, or there was a threat that was coming. They would light a fire and they would see the smoke in Jerusalem, and the fire was the signal, the smoke was a signal, it's coming. And they would do that in my hometown of Tico, Washington, and also <laughs> in this uh, town of Beth Hacharem. For disaster appears out of the north, and great destruction. This again speaking of Babylon. Verse 2, I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. That's not a good thing. What Jeremiah is saying here is that you've become soft. You've had it so good for so long that you've become very soft like a delicate woman, no match for that which is coming from the far north. The shepherds, verse 3, with their flocks shall come to her. 
They shall pitch their tents against her all around. Each one shall pasture in his own place. Prepare war against her, verse 4. And let us go up at noon. Woe to us, for the day goes away. For the shadows of the evening are lengthening. Arise, and let us go by night, and let us destroy her palaces. Speaking of Jerusalem. So interesting here, because again, the parallels prophetically to our day, as it was in Jeremiah's day, are chilling, breathtaking. I don't mean to be overly dramatic, but what Jeremiah is saying to them in their day is, and by the way, this was said to them, prophesied to them. They heard this from Jeremiah about them and what God was going to bring upon them. And here we are these generations later reading this word here in God's Word, and it is so apropos to us today. And here's how I get there. Time is running out, you guys. And judgment is coming, you guys. And it's sooner than you think. The day goes away. The shadows of the evening are lengthening. The time is at hand as we would say. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. Why? Because there is now this preparing for war against you. They are going to arise and come up against you. It is coming, and time is running out. I mean, you'll forgive me, but this verses 4 and 5 could be written for us today. There's no more time. The time is at hand. Time is running out. Judgment is coming. Verse 6, For thus has the Lord of hosts said, Cut down trees, and build a mound against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst. And look at the imagery, the picture that's painted here on the canvas of verse 7. As a fountain wells up with water, so she, speaking of Jerusalem, wells up with her wickedness, violence, and plundering are heard in her. Before me continually are grief and wounds. Be instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate 
a land not inhabited. Wow, what a, what a picture, what an image. You know the word image is where we get the word imagination. Image, imagination. You know that God has given us a God-given ability to imagine, to have a good imagination. And such is the case here. Imagine this, this image, imagine this image. A fountain wells up with water. Of course in our culture we, this is foreign to us, but not to them. That well water, your well from which you draw water, and it fills up, wells up with water. You know when it does that? Well, you're like that, because you're the well. And what's welling up is not water, but wickedness. You almost have this image again of it overflowing. And we even get more specificity because the wickedness is this violent plundering. Wow. That's what they were doing? Yeah. That's how bad it was? Yeah. Again, see this through the lens of God justly, rightly arguing His just case for just judgment. He's, he's laying out the case, again, if it needs to be in your mind's eye, this image again of a courtroom, so be it. He's arguing His case. You are guilty as charged. And now here comes the penalty. Here comes the punishment. Here comes the judgment. It's a just judgment because of this. Verse 9, thus says the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean as a vine the remnant of Israel, as a grape gatherer. Put your hand back into the branches, to whom, verse 10, listen very carefully to this, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised. The flesh is covering their ear. That flesh covering their ear needs to be cut away from their ear. It's uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. If that sounds like a verse we read in chapter 5, that's because that's a verse we read in chapter 5. I'm not trying to be cute or coy. But the fact of the matter is, is that God again in arguing His case is indicting them. Get this, if you can imagine. God's Word, the Word of God to them was repulsive. 
It was a reproach. They had no interest. They had no delight in it. <laughs> if I could just bring it into again our day in terms of the parallel, it's kind of like this. That Bible that you have, oh excuse me, it's not that Bible you have, it's one of like 12 Bibles that you have. It just sits there collecting dust. In fact, it hasn't been opened in so long that when you go to open it, the pages stick together. And if the Bible could speak, <laughs> it would say something like, oh, where you been? Great to see you again. I missed you. Been a while. Been a long time, as a matter of fact. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a few years. You've had no interest. This was the case with them concerning the Word of God. Not only, I mean, it's, it's really a twofold indictment. Not only was it a reproach to them, the Word of God, but the Word of God was of no interest to them, and there was no delight in the Word of God to them. I think about David in the Psalms, <laughs> Psalm 34. I hope it's 34. It's either 34 or 37. I always get them mixed up. But, and we, we mess up with this verse because he says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Really? Cool. Wait, let me see if I got this straight. So. He'll give me whatever my heart's desire is, if I will but delight in Him. Oh, I'm so delighted. So delighted. That's not what it means. Here's what it means. God will give you the desire first. He'll put that desire on your heart. And then what comes as a result of God putting that desire in and on your heart is that He will give you a delight for that which He has given you the desire to do. That's how that works. Did I like ruin your whole night on that one? <laughs> it's such a great and grand and glorious promise. It's the, the desire of our heart, is the delight of our heart. And that desire and that delight in and of our heart is the desire and the delight that God has put in and on our heart. And they would have none of it. By the way, Make no mistake about it. The Lord had tried to put that delight and desire on their heart, in their heart, and they just weren't interested. And God's never going to force Himself on anyone. It has to be a willing heart a heart that is supple, so that when the seed of God's Word 
is met with the soil of our heart, that seed is able to germinate and sprout and bear wonderful and beautiful fruit. Verse 11, Therefore I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife, the aged with him who is full of days, young and old alike. And verse 12, their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. Do you want to know why? This is pretty strong, right? Do you want to know why? Well, we're told why in verse 13. It's because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. Eh, let's hang on for just a moment before we go to verse 14. I want to spend a little bit of time on verse 14, but I think that verse 13 warrants it as well. Again, get the picture in your mind, this image of what they were totally given over to covetousness. And it wasn't just the people, it was the prophets and even the priests too. Again, this was last week, the, we called it the three Ps, the priests, the prophets and the people. The prophets were false prophets, the priests were corrupted in their power, and if you can imagine again, I know I'm using that word a lot tonight, but the people love to have it so. In other words, these prophets, false prophets were prophesying falsely and the people loved it. And the priests were so corrupt and the people loved it. They were together with it. There's an interesting word here in verse 13. Did you catch it? Everyone. You look it up in the original to see the uh, meaning. It means everyone. <laughs> I know that's deeply profound. That means everyone, not most, or some of them, or the corrupt among them, or the wicked among them. No, every one of them was given to covetousness. And the, the way they were treating each other, coveting each other, dealing with each other. I mean, you could just grocery list this, dishonesty, falsehood, all of that which comes packaged with what we just read in verse 13. And if that weren't bad enough, verse 14, they have also healed the hurt 
of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Okay, this is, again, I'm just going to ask you to, you know, you're so gracious. You're so gracious to me, so patient with me. But I'm just going to have to ask you to just kind of bear with me on this. So again, let's try to superimpose the template of what's happening in our day over this that was happening in Jeremiah's day. So basically they had these people, these prophets, these priests that were basically telling everyone, oh, sh it's all good. Just, it's, it's not that big of a deal. You know what, what's that saying? Keep calm and carry on. Keep moving, nothing to see here. It's all going to be okay. Peace, peace. Oh, uh, wait, I know what Jeremiah is saying. That doom and gloom guy, he's talking about judgment. Now it's not that bad. It's going to be okay. They, they heal the hurt. Don't miss that. The hurt of my people. These are people that are a needy people, a hurting people. And here comes these people saying, hey, let me see what I, and they, they basically put a band-aid. That's the brand name, by the way. An adhesive, you know, whatever, but a band-aid. They put a band-aid on an open cut. Uh, no, this is pretty serious. No, it's not. No, this, this is bad. No, it's not. It's good. It's going to be good. It's going to be okay. No. You're, you're, you're telling me peace, peace, but there's no peace. You, you're, you're not being truthful with me. This is dealing falsely with me. You're not speaking the truth to me. You're only telling me what I want to hear. Why are you doing that? Oh, I know why. Because you want me to come back to your church. So you're going to just continue telling me what my ears are itching to hear. This comports with a very well-known prophecy from the Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit to Timothy about that which would mark the last days. He says to Timothy, there's a day coming, Timothy, when the people will not put up with sound doctrine. They will not tolerate it. In fact, here's what they're going to do instead. They're going to flock, very interesting detail, in great numbers. These are going to be big churches. Oh, maybe that's another reason why you don't want to tell me the truth and tell me that I'm a good person and peace and 
peace and there's no peace and I'm not a good person, actually I'm a sinner. But you don't want to do that because you want people to feel comfortable and you want people to come back because, and they'll do so in, in great numbers. Sounds like you might need to buy a stadium to accommodate those big numbers. See, because if you do that, what's going to happen is that they're going to come in great numbers. Why? Because you're only going to tell them what they want to hear, what their ears are itching to hear, and you will not tell them what they need to hear. Imagine in Jeremiah's day that they were deliberately withholding this unpopular message that judgment was coming. Listen, I don't want to be a killjoy. I know we're having all a great time and it's party on and, but um, uh, this is, this is serious because judgment's coming. The Babylonians are coming. You know that beautiful house you built? They're going to take that house. You know those fields that you have and planted? They're going to take that too. You know those vineyards that you have and take great pride in? They're going to take that too. In fact, they're going to take you captive back to Babylon, and they're going to destroy this city, and God's going to allow it, because God has to allow it. Because if that's what it takes, then so be it. And here's another thing, and I just parenthetically probably need to mention this in the context of what we just read. It's cyclical, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So God would bless His people, they would prosper, they would get soft, and they would then be given over to covetousness and wickedness and so forth. And then God would warn them and they would not repent. And so then God would have to do this to get their attention, because that that's what it takes. And then they're taken into captivity and then they cry out, Oh God! And then they repent. And then God returns them and restores them and blesses them and prospers them. And then they get, you'll forgive the expression, fat and sassy. Is that bad? I know it's not politically correct, but you get the point. And then it's the same cycle. <laughs> As one said famously, it's deja vu all over again. I know that's a redundancy then they would, in their prosperity and the blessing of God, they would then sin greatly against God, and God would warn them, and they wouldn't repent. And so then God has to allow this heavy hand of judgment again. And then they repent, and then here we are, all smug and pious, looking at the Israelites, 
looking down on the Israelites like, man, what's up with them? You hear God blesses them, and then they sin against God, and you would think they would get it. Oh, really? How about you? This is us. It's so cyclical. God blesses us, and then we get so comfortable and take for granted and start enjoying the, again, prosperity is more dangerous than adversity. And the very blessing of God ends up drawing us away from God. And then when God tries to get us to return to Him, we don't. And then He's got to allow something like this to happen in order to get our attention. It's not because He hates us, it's because He loves us. If you think about it, He wouldn't bother if He didn't love us. He loves us enough to allow the Babylonians in our life to take us captive, to get a taste. We're given over to that. We get our fill of that. And it's because of that that we cry out to God, Oh God, I have sinned. And then He restores us, and then He blesses us, and then He prospers us. And here we go again. They did it then, we do it now. One last thing, and then we'll move on again. Just bear with me. There is coming a day, and we're going to see this in James, by the way. There is coming a day when every pastor in every pulpit will have to give an account and be judged by a much stricter standard because of verse 14. Did you cower and falter from speaking the truth in love because of love to the people and warn them? And we're going to see that here in a moment. Because if you didn't, then their blood is on your hands, because you didn't warn them. And the reason why you didn't warn them is because you wanted them to come in great numbers. And they knew they could come in great numbers and bring their friends in great numbers. Because, man, first of all, this guy, he doesn't talk that long like the other guy over on the windward side that goes <laughs> sometimes over an hour. This guy does like a 20-minute thing. Okay, now I'm in for that. One has aptly called them sermonettes for Christianettes. And that's what it is. It's Christianity light. Let's not, you know, let's not blow them out of the water. Let's just kind of keep it, you know, light and Let's not get into the, I mean, we don't want to talk about, you know, things like sin. And even if you look at some of the songs that are sung under the banner of praise and worship, you'll notice conspicuously absent from them are things like the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, the word sin, 
The word sinner. No, it's, uh, that's too offensive. We might, we might offend somebody. <laughs> what? You better offend them into heaven instead of flatter them into hell, because you're going to give an account one day. I know I said one last thing. This will be the last thing. It's so ironic. Again, bear with me. It's so ironic, because the pastor in that pulpit has this notion that if he preaches a feel-good, peace, peace message, that people are going to flock in great numbers to his church. But what he doesn't realize is, those people are going to realize, wait a minute, especially with what's happening in the world today, it's what I call cotton candy Christianity. You know, you cannot go very long eating cotton candy. You know, sometimes you need some vegetables, <laughs> meat. You need some meat. You can't, that, that's all sugar and sweet. But as a Christian, you're going to have a lot of cavities, by way of illustration. And what's that going to do to your spiritual health? What, what would happen to your physical health if your diet was sugar? <laughs> how's that, how's that going to work out for you? That's very unhealthy. And with what's happened in the world over the last couple of years, and I praise God for it, by the way, and don't get me wrong, God has allowed what has happened to happen, and multitudes have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of what's happened. But those people that would go to these churches that had the peace, peace message are sitting there going, wait a minute. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my livelihood. And you're up there doing this whole song and dance, horse and pony show. I'm going farther than I probably should, but you get, you get what I'm saying, right? That's, it ain't going to cut it. It ain't going to cut it anymore. Oh, three, four years ago, yeah, that was, that was doable. Yeah, I went to church, feel good. What's for lunch? Well, now it's uh, getting real. And I can't sit, I'm, I'm just speaking generically, and of course, by way of illustration, I, I can't sit in a church when everything in the world is happening the way it is, and hear a pastor that is, first of all, he's not even talking about that. Well, what's he talking about? Oh, it's believed that the um, color of sandals that Jesus wore were 
this and you know and historically they and that's even if they bring that up they're just kind of touching on a couple of verses here a couple of verses there and let's keep the thing moving and that person sitting there is hurting and they're healing that hurt only slightly. That person that is sitting there listening to this needs to hear the truth. Yeah, it might wound, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you're my friend, you'll, you'll wound me with the truth. I might resent it initially, but I'll appreciate it eventually. And conversely, if you multiply kisses, as the proverb says, and you do not wound me with the truth, but multiply kisses instead. Oh, I might initially appreciate it, but eventually I'll resent it. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? I needed to hear the truth and you didn't speak the truth. You must not love me. You must not love me. Okay. Verse 15, it gets worse, so you know. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Not only did they not blush, they didn't even know how to blush. Boy, does that describe our day to day? No shame. They don't know how. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, it shall be cast down, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, verse 16, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Sounds like something Jesus said. It's believed actually by some that Jesus was referring to this verse here in Jeremiah. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden and weary, and I will give you rest for your souls. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Interesting. The old paths, why don't you go back to the old path, the proven path, the good way, and, and ask, seek, stand in and walk in it. And if you will, then you'll find rest for your souls. Well, what's their response? But they said, we will not walk in it. What? Also, verse 17, I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. Well, what was their response? But they said, we will not listen. Whoa. 
You mean to tell me that there were actually watchmen that were sounding the trumpet? Yeah. They sounded the trumpet, warning, 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 it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And what did they do? We will not listen. Here's this plea again, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. That kind of reminds me just real quick about, oh, I, I hope you don't misunderstand when I say it. I love teaching the Old Testament. I love teaching the New Testament too, but I love the Old Testament. I, this is going to, I hope this doesn't mess you up. You're already messed up, so <laughs> it's probably going to mess you up more. But I actually enjoy teaching the Old Testament than I do the prophecy updates. You okay? Especially now, because the updates are so, so intense. I love the Old Testament. What I wanted to share was this is an actual conversation I had many years ago on the mainland, long time ago in a land far, far away. This is an actual conversation I had concerning the Old Testament. The person says to me, wait, the Old Testament? Isn't that old? <laughs> the, that's, that's the old Testament. It's, it's old. Is it any wonder that there are churches today that don't go anywhere near the Old Testament? Oh, they're being robbed of the riches. Because the Old Testament conceals what the New Testament reveals. If you're just Reading the New Testament, you're, it's like watching, this is going to really, uh, well, it's too late, you're already messed up. But remember those black and white TVs with the tubes, the ones that you had to bang and, oh good, you do remember. And then the, the foil on the antennas, you know, you're trying to get them right. And oh, and this is pre-remote. You know, you've probably told your kids, back in my day we had three channels. <laughs> and you had to get up and turn the channel. And when that dial broke, you got pliers. You had to get the pliers and, and then the foil and then, and then you get this fuzzy black and white screen. I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry. That's like limiting yourself to the New Testament. It's kind of fuzzy. It's not so clear. And where's the, where's the color? Now, the Old Testament when you plug into the Old Testament, that little black and white fuzzy <laughs> screen that you're watching, it turns into 3D IMAX. <laughs> How's that for an illustration? If you've got a better one, let me know. But I mean, it, oh, the color, the, the picture. What, they have 4K now. Mike, isn't it like 8K now? More than that even. Some of you are going, what? <laughs> the, the quality of the images now, the technology as it's advancing, it is so clear. 
In fact, it's too clear. I, I'm very concerned if we move from HD to 4K. I've already discussed this because, you know, they're going to see like things that, you know, it's so detailed and, and that's not good. So anyway, I, I digress, but the old ways, the proven path, Therefore, verse 18, hear you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. Wait, they heard it, they didn't heed it. Well, they heard it because we just got done reading that the watchmen were sounding the alarm and they wouldn't listen. They didn't want to hear it. All they wanted to hear was peace, peace. Speak only smooth things. So we know that they were hearing it, but they were rejecting it. They were hearing God's Word, but not heeding God's Word. Verse 20, for what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba, and sweet cane from a far country. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Uh, by the way, frankincense from Sheba, that ain't cheap. That's very expensive. Sweet cane from a far country. This is a delicacy and a luxury. And so here we have this picture of the people offering these expensive offerings and sacrifices, and the Lord's going, what are you doing? You think that's acceptable? You think that makes up for it? And don't we do that, by the way? We know we messed up, so we're going to try to make up for the mess up. So maybe I'll... Uh, yeah, maybe I'll tithe a little bit more. Yeah, you know what? Don't bother. It's unacceptable. It's not going to offset. I don't desire sacrifice. Obedience. Obedience, not sacrifice. Verse 21, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, and the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them. The neighbor and his friend shall perish. Thus says the Lord, Behold, verse 22, a people comes from the north country, and a great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. They will lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea, and they ride on horses as men of war set in array against you, O daughter of Zion. We have heard the report of it. Our hands grow feeble. Anguish has taken hold of us, pain as of a woman in labor. Do not go out of, into the field, verse 25, nor walk by the way because of the sword of the enemy. Fear is on every side. Is that not what always ensues? Fear is the absence of peace, right? 
O daughter of my people, verse 26, dress in sackcloth and roll about in ashes, make mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for the plunderer will suddenly come upon us. I have set you as an assayer and a fortress among my people, that you may know and test their way. And then the rest of the chapter, verse 28, they are all stubborn rebels, walking as slanderers. I can only imagine. They are bronze and iron. That's not good. They are all corruptors. The bellows blow fiercely. The lead is consumed by the fire. The smelter refines in vain. For the wicked are not drawn off. People, verse 30, will call them rejected silver, because the Lord has rejected them. In other words, <laughs> that refining fire that refines the silver, that refines the gold, it is of no consequence, inconsequential, ineffective. It's in vain. Why? Because they had become like bronze and iron. You can't refine bronze and iron. In other words, there was no silver, nothing of value, no gold certainly, nothing of value. There was no precious metal left to refine. Any refining process was in vain. Why was it in vain? Because they rejected God, which is why God in turn rejected them. Don't turn that around. The Lord will never forsake us. He'll never leave us. Lo, He is with us always, even until the ends of the earth. But if we forsake the Lord, He will forsake us. Why? Because He will never force Himself on us. If we reject Him, He's like, okay, I can't force you. You forsake me, I can't force you. You've forsaken me. I get, I get the hint. You reject me. I got it. That's fine. I'm not going to force myself on you. You've made up your mind. You've hardened your heart towards me, and you've rejected me. So I, in turn, will reject you. So have a nice evening, and we're going to partake of communion now. And I tell you, it's, it's hard. I know I'm thinking of myself only, because that's the one person I think about the most, is myself. But I think about how hard this is to teach, but then I think about you, and how hard this must be to hear, be on the receiving end of a teaching like this. But we need to hear it. It's hard, but it's good. And you know, it makes the communion celebration all the more sweeter, 
Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning in verse 14. We're told that when the hour had come, He sat down and the twelve apostles with Him. Then He said to them, With fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then He took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. And he says it again for a second time. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What he's saying here is, and this is why we affectionately refer to it as the Last Supper, it's the last time Jesus is going to eat with His disciples. And He's already told them what's going to happen. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to be given over to man, and He's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried, and He's going to rise again from the dead. And they were not able to wrap their minds around that. Of course, you know Peter's response to that was just over the top. And Jesus, of course, had to rebuke him and say to him, get behind me, Satan. Not that Peter was Satan, but that is what Satan wanted. He didn't want Jesus to go to the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. So they were really having a hard time with this. And then he tells them this, this is the last time we're going to eat again. But here's the thing, you guys, the next time we partake together, it's going to be when this is fulfilled in my kingdom. And it's like Jesus is saying, I can't wait. Some of your translations render it, I eagerly await, fervently desire for that time when what we're going to do tonight is ultimately fulfilled in my kingdom. Why do I emphasize that? Because as gnarly, <laughs> I love that word still, you'll forgive me, as gnarly as this chapter in Jeremiah that we just studied was, we have this to look forward to. And we need to remember that. And that's the point of all of this. This is why Jesus gave us this to do. And as often as we do it, to do it in remembrance of Him. Why? Because <laughs> you can study a chapter like Jeremiah chapter 6, and it's not too far of a stretch to say, man, this is bad. Yeah, but did you forget? Did you forget? Oh yeah, that's right. Thank you for the reminder. I, I, I needed to remember. And He took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in keyword remembrance of Me. And that's what we're going to do. 
So for those of you here, if you'll just peel back the top and take the bread, just hold on to it for a moment. A symbol of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us instead of us. Not His bones, that would have disqualified Jesus as the Passover lamb, because the prophecy was such that no bone in that lamb could be broken. The skin was broken in seven places, by the way, the number of completion, because the work is completed, it is finished. But His body was broken for us on that cross. And as we partake, let's do so in remembrance of what Jesus did for us, in that He died for us. Would you partake with me? Thank you, Lord. Lord, the communion celebration, as we refer to it, is really a time for us to just come back to You, the old path, as we just read, the proven way, and remember what You did for us, that You purchased us, that You paid for us, that You're going to redeem us. Lord, thank You. Thank You for this. Thank You for giving us this to do. Thank You, Lord. Luke goes on and says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. The old covenant is not done away with. <laughs> no jot, no tittle. In fact, it's the new covenant, because what we're doing here is a fulfillment of the old covenant. Again, the New Testament reveals what the Old Testament conceals. In the Old Covenant, all point from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, by the way, it all points to the person of Jesus Christ, and not just the person of Jesus Christ, but the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Old points to the New, and Jesus fulfills the old with the new. And so He says to them, this cup, again a symbol, if you'll take the cup and peel back the rest of it. It's a symbol of my blood. My body, the bread, a symbol of my body broken, and the cup, a symbol of my blood shed. Why is this important? Because the Bible says there's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So He shed His blood, and there is power in the blood. <laughs> so much so that the blood of Jesus Christ removes our sin, 
all of our sin, as far as the east is from the west, and it's so powerful that God remembers our sin no more. It's because of the blood that when God sees us, He sees not our sin, but His Son, whom He gave for us, to die for us, and to shed His blood for us. That's how powerful the blood is. Would you partake with me? Two, why don't you come on up and if you would please stand. Lord, we never want to rush through communion, nor do we ever want for communion to become something that's rote or just this thing that we do, a formality, a tradition even. Lord, I pray that tonight, because we've partaken together of the bread, your body, the cup, your blood, that for us it will be that much needed reminder of how much you love us. You love us so much, Lord. And we need to be reminded of that love that you have for us. No greater love hath any man than he would lay down his life for another. And that's what you did for us, Lord. And what we did here tonight, Lord, we, we, we did in remembrance of what you did. How could we ever thank you enough, Lord? We too, Lord, <laughs> eagerly await, fervently desire for that day, we believe soon and very soon, where what we just did here tonight will find its ultimate fulfillment in your kingdom. Lord, we can't wait. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.